Tumai Kreutzer. Welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast. I'm Alain Rees-Chivez. In this latest episode of the podcast, Stephen Hedges takes a look at disability cricket in Wales. We'll hear from Cricket Wales coach Les Randall, as well as Kian Davis and Chris Margit, two members of the Welsh squad. We'll also catch up with Cricket Wales Chief Executive Leisha Hawkins to hear the latest from Welsh Cricket's HQ. But first, Stephen speaks to Richard Hill, the ECB's Disability Cricket Competitions Manager, about the origins and development of disability cricket in all its forms. If we were to look at the sensory impairments, for example, uh, visual, visually impaired cricket and deaf cricket, they, they've been around a lot longer than, than the physical and learning disability cricket. So, I mean, visually impaired cricket's origins literally started just after World War II. So, so soldiers coming back from, uh, from the war that had injuries around, uh, around their vision started to play a visually impaired game of cricket, which is effectively cricket with a ball that has sound in it. Its origin started way back uh, 100 years ago in Australia with stones being put inside a kerosene can and bashed into the shape of a ball. And you can imagine what a missile that, that uh, created. Um, so, so but, but in the UK, you know, visually impaired cricket has started then. Deaf cricket, probably in the sort of late 1980s, early 1990s, deaf-specific cricket uh, took root with the uh, actually the first ever deaf ashes between England and Australia taking uh, place in 1992. So in terms of the physical and learning disability cricket, uh, that started much later. Uh, ha- having said that, a voluntary organisation called the British Association cricketers with disabilities that we'll now call BACD because it's much easier were formed also in the late 1980s by a couple of twin brothers called Dick and Fred Wildgoose and their that their mission was to just try to bring cricket to people with disabilities which initially was was trying to serve people with physical disability but it came very apparent fairly quickly that the numbers were, were, were an issue in terms of the number of people playing so People with a learning disability were also introduced into, into that sort of forum at that time. And, and where we stand today with it is, we, you know, we have a county championship that has a mix of physical and learning disability people playing, and that's a legacy from those times. In, in about the mid-1990s, Dick and Fred kind of broke away from the BACD and formed another organisation called the Cricket Federation People with Disabilities, which we'll call CFPD. Because I think uh, other people within BACD at that time wanted to go in a slightly different direction to, to, to Fred and Dick in terms of organi- having something that's more structured and more organised, where Dick and Fred ideas and ideals were about providing opportunity for people to play. They, they spent quite a lot of their time uh, organising events at um, high-profile venues, such as the indoor schools at Lords and Old Trafford and at Headingley, etc., which, which, were, which were great experiences for people. Whereas BACD's, uh, BACD wanted to go much more down a structured competition route. Uh, and, and I think the, the earliest ever was, was I think, a, literally um, a bunch of guys from Lancashire with physical learning disability were looking for a game. And I think they found it on the Isle of Wight, to be honest. The BACD as an organisation no longer exists. CFPD still exists and still carry on doing their events in, in these um, high profile venues. The structured competition that that's started through BACD is now kind of morphed and generated into what we do within ECB now, where we now run a national county competition that in in those early BAC days had about six teams uh, had we have played in 2020 we'd have had 38 teams playing in it so it, it's growing quite significantly in 2007 
Um, ECB employed uh, Ian Martin, who is head of disability cricket. So he was the first full-time employee um, for, for ECB on disability cricket. Where we sit today, there are seven full-time employees. In terms of participation, at the last count, we had 72,000 disabled people taking part in, in cricket up and down the country. You talked about the important impact that cricket can have on people with disabilities when they engage in a sport. But is there also a very powerful image of disability that you can portray to the general public? Whenever people talk about disability, I think the image that's embedded with all of us is, is a wheelchair. Disabled parking spaces always have a picture of a wheelchair. The, the very fact is that 93% of disabled people don't use wheelchairs. The issue that we have is that we do have quite a lot of coverage that goes on on our, on our England teams. But if you, if you were to take a, you know, a, a film of, of our deaf team, if you were to take a film of our learning disability team, they're just, they're just cricketers because you, you don't see any, anything different. In actual fact, when you, nowadays, when you look at our physical disability team, it's pretty hard to spot their disabilities as well. I got involved with disability cricket because um, my son's had uh, ADHD and autism, uh, run a local cricket club. My son, Gavin, got involved with the England setup, the ECB. My son uh, started playing international cricket when he was 16, and I got involved when he was become 18. They asked me to get involved with the learning difficulties team, and I was involved for 10 years at a high performance level. Presumably, there are great opportunities for taking that, those forms of cricket uh, out to recreational players and schools and so on. I'd like to say that the pathway's got three levels. In Wales, we have a system where the boys start in softball competition and progress, and hopefully they move up to the, the, the uh, hardball team. So we've got a pathway, and it's exactly the same in, in, in most counties as well. They start off with the recreational stuff, which is softball stuff. And hopefully the players move on to the hardball, which is a little bit more competitive, where you get the England players playing in it. And I worked for Hampshire Cricket with the girls, uh, age groups, the county age groups. And uh, the um, chairman of Hampshire Cricket Board asked me to get involved with disability cricket because of my son, Gavin. So I helped Hampshire set up their disability uh, section. And um, so I did all the co I did lots of coaching with VI people, visually impaired people, physical disabilities, and what I did. And I sort of fell in love with it. So that was about 20 years ago. <laughs> Obviously, I live in uh, Portsmouth, but I'm very, very passionate about what I did. I've, I've worked at elite level, and I worked there for 10 years. Went to Australia twice, South Africa, and I wanted to give other people that opportunity to do what I've done. You can't imagine, you know, going abroad to Australia and playing cricket out. At the M I played, we played at the MCG, the biggest cricket ground in the world. You can't imagine give other people that opportunity. I went to Kent. I worked at Kent, exactly the same thing I did at Hampshire. And then Wales offered me to come to Wales. And, and when I come to Wales, there was very little disability cricket going on. And we've moved it on to, in five years, to where we are at the moment, which is you know, phenomenal, really. We're, you know, we've, we've got a fantastic pathway. We've got lots of people playing disability cricket at all levels. It's just a passion. The biggest skill you need with working with people with disabilities is to understand them. We've had a lots of lots of experience with the boys through all my 
20 years have been involved. They've had different problems. Obviously, people with learning difficulties and mental health problems, you need to understand them. They go through bad times. They go through good times. Bad times sometimes are really, really bad, and you need to be there to help them. Yeah, I think you've probably partly answered this question, but how do you go about balancing the objectives of developing a high-performance structure alongside the encouragement for all people to get involved and, and to participate? I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but it's just experience. I can teach I can teach somebody who never ever picked a bat up and have the patience to to teach them, and hopefully they'll move on to one of our in our pathway. I don't see it as a balance. I just see it as a it's something I do naturally. I can teach somebody at high performance level one day, and the next day I could go into a playground and teach somebody in a wheelchair how to play cricket. To date, what are your proudest achievements in the Cricket Wales uh, role that you perform? Well, the, the, my proudest achievement is that um, over the um, over the five years, we've managed to enter the team into a hardball cha- county championship. We've now got a squad of players now who could live with boys who play for England and live within that county sh- championship setup. But we've also got a softball team as well in the county championship. So the boys with lower abilities will be playing against other counties as well. And it's took five years to get to that. And I'm very proud of, as Wales cricket, what we've achieved, really, to be honest with you, because they've backed me 110%. I know that there was a a team, a disability team from Wales that travelled to Sri Lanka. Yeah, we went in November. Again, it's going back to when I was working for England, the ECB, I knew how much the experience and it changed the boys' lives going abroad and playing cricket. And I wanted to give them, the boys in Wales, that experience. We had boys who went to Sri Lanka come back as different people and their parents don't don't recognise them because they've experienced life experiences which you'd never get if you walked outside your door. You know, I don't know if Sri Lanka is a very, very poor country, but they made us so welcome. It was beautiful and, and everything. And the boys experienced, which they never experienced again. So I wanted to give them something which I'd already experienced and I knew how much it would enhance the boys' lives. I suppose that's an achievement, really, to take 15 boys with mental health problems and disabilities away to Sri Lanka. For Absolutely, more. yes. They made loads and loads of friends and we had a really, really good time. Having achieved so much, do you still have aims and objectives for, for disability cricket in Wales? I'd like to make it more open to everybody, do a little bit more advertising, if that's the right word, and, and let people know we're actually out there. The, the thing I find in Wales is, is that obviously rugby is very big. So disability cricket, even five years ago, was very, very low on the priority of people. I'd like it to come up a little bit so people think about disability cricket as well as mainstream cricket and all other cricket. And so perhaps you mentioned advertising. If if there are anybody uh, who's listening to the podcast or have friends or relatives that might be interested, how can people get involved in disability cricket in Wales? We've got a development centre in Milford Haven. We've got a development centre in Swansea, a development centre in Cardiff, and our academy is based in Cardiff as well. The pathway is getting there. It's like little steps. best thing you can ever, ever do is represent your country at, at, um, at sport. And over the f- over five years, we've managed to get the disability players to actually receive their Welsh caps. 
So all the all all the players who play for Wales now actually get their Welsh cap at a presentation dinner. Well, I just like to people if they if 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 they know or they've got a disability themselves and they like to get involved, there is something out there for you. All you need to do is to get in touch, and we'll steer you. Well, I will steer you in the right in in the right direction. The more people playing disability cricket, the better. Hi, we'd like to welcome uh, Leisha Hawkins, the Chief Executive Officer of Cricket Wales, to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast. Hello, Leisha. Hello, thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure. I, I did have a look and see when you took up post, and it was actually February of this year. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and also what you've been faced with uh, coming to the organisation? Sure, yes. Uh, yes, I joined February of this year, as you say. I had a 100-day plan, as every new CEO should, and the 100-day plan probably went out the window about day 27. I joined from the ECB. I'd done seven and a half years at the England and Wales Cricket Board in a couple of roles, and the move to Wales was, um, I was just ready for an opportunity. This opportunity came up. Yeah, as soon as I joined, we had the floods, and then, so say, three, four weeks later, we were in lockdown in a global pandemic, so not quite the summer that I had planned unfortunately not quite the summer that anyone had planned I'm sure and cricket and sport clearly still facing a number of challenges we're very fortunate that we are back playing we're the first team sport uh, to be back playing and I'm very proud that the Wales disability teams had already a number of fixtures but there's clearly still challenges to come from a funding point of view the ECB have been quite open and transparent about their financial challenges they're clearly a major funder of ours and with a new funding cycle from Sport Wales there will undoubtedly be challenges for us but um, yeah never a dull moment but certainly still I'm very pleased to be here still very proud to be here and I've just been so impressed by by what I've seen so far from from cricket in Wales albeit unfortunately with limited play this summer. And on a personal front I noticed that you're also learning to speak Welsh. Yes very slowly. Um, I'm um, part of the Dusky Cymraeg course, which I think is government supported or government sponsored. So I've, I've done 10 units so far. So my Welsh currently is limited to whether I like swimming or not and ordering fish and chips. I have still felt very at home in Wales, but made to feel very welcome. And I think it's, it's partly a bit of payback to, um, you know, to at least try and learn the language. I don't think, unfortunately, I'll be conducting our AGM entirely bilingually in the near future but yeah I'm, I'm going to do the next 35 weeks starting in September. So yeah. Fantastic great um, we've been talking to Les Randall who's the main contact at Cricket Wales for disability yeah. cricket I wonder if you could sketch out for us Cricket Wales's view of disability cricket and where it fits in amongst all the other things you do. Before my time there was an inordinate amount of work in the sort of 18 months two years leading up to uh, March when I was part of a presentation party alongside obviously Glamorgan Cricket and um, members of both the exec and the boards of both Glamorgan and Cricket Wales and it was Wales's response to Inspiring Generations which is the sort of framework strategy that the ECB wrote on behalf of the game in it was launched, I think, in 2019. And um, disability cricket absolutely is a part of that. Um, Les has done a fabulous job. You know, again, I've only been around for six months, but it's very clear, you know, his reputation and um, how he's viewed in, in disability cricket circles in Wales. He really is a force of nature. Um, but my, my reflection, and it is really only a reflection, say, with a very limited amount of time and obviously not a normal 
at time to be analysing things is, is that, you know, he is only one man. And while he has taken disability cricket to fabulous places and, and fabulous heights, we really need, if we're going to kick on now, we really need to kind of embed disability cricket as much as I guess, you know, women's cricket, to some degree, women's and girls cricket is starting now to be embedded into cricket as a whole and, and cricket in Wales. What would you like to kind of say to people today in, in terms of the immediate and perhaps more medium term future for disability cricket? Yeah, I'll look, I'll start with the players or the potential players. They may not be players yet. Um, and I would say it to anyone, you know, whether they had a disability or not, whether they were five or 50, male or female, just give it a go. It is a wonderful sport, builds skills that I don't think any other sport can give you. It's so much fun. You know, we will, as Cricket Wales, be able to find you somewhere to experience disability cricket, whether that's in a school setting, a club setting. You know, we do want to grow. I think for clubs and schools, it's probably a very similar message. You know, we want to to grow our offer. We are arms wide open and we're working with Disability Sport Wales um, through the InSport programme on some uh, disability specific cricket uh, coaching. So a sort of uh, training course and sort of ease people into um, and make it a, a softer landing in order to, to run disability cricket. So um, yeah, please just reach out. The principles of inspiring generations, principles of the strategy that we've written um, remain the same. Um, you know, the pandemic doesn't change that. It's just maybe the, the scale or the pace of our ambition that may have to be tempered in light of the challenges that we now face and new regulations and so forth. But we want to hear from people and we want to make this happen. So I have with me uh, two members of the Wales Disability Cricket Team who toured Sri Lanka before Christmas, I think. Uh, their names are Kian Davis and Chris Margetts. Welcome both uh, to the podcast, boys. Hi, thank you. So perhaps the first thing we can do is to hear a little bit about you both. So I don't know if, uh, Kian, you'd like to kick us off. Just tell us a little bit about you, where you're from, how you got interested in cricket, and maybe even a little bit about your disability, if you feel comfortable talking about it. Yeah, my name's Kian. I'm originally from uh, Pembrokeshire. I have been playing cricket about 10 years. And can you say a little bit about your disability, Kian, and how that has either made it easier or more difficult to kind of play cricket? Well, I suffer with dyspraxia. I also do have some autism as well. And dyspraxia affects, in terms of cricket, it affects a little bit of concentration. It affects how... Uh, you know, it affects coordination, obviously, it affects sort of balance. It, it affects quite a lot of things people take for granted. And then autism, obviously, is a challenge in itself. You know, I've been working to try and overcome it. And, yeah, I play, play for Wales, which is absolutely amazing. OK, that's great. And Chris? Yeah, so um, God, I can't remember a time I haven't been playing cricket, to be honest with you. Probably started when I was about six. Uh, played uh, junior age, played for Gwent, that's how old I am, uh, many years ago now. So uh, then kind of just gave up for a little bit when I started secondary school. Been playing for my local village team ever since, through a friend actually that played for the Wales team. He, um, he found out I was disabled, suggested I give Les a call, managed to, to get in the team, showed up, showed what I could do. Uh, and they, they invited me back for some strange reason. So um, yeah. <laughs> Altogether, I've been playing cricket for maybe um, 29 years now. Can you tell us a little bit about your disability, Chris? 
Yeah, absolutely. So um, I've got a, a physical disability, which is called Charcot-Marie-Tooth. It manifests itself in, in several different ways in my body, um, and it's degenerative. Um, one of the main things that happens to my body is uh, a lack of strength in my ankles, most notably when I'm running. Yeah, it, it causes a lot of pain, particularly when I'm on my feet for a long period of time. So if you can imagine fielding for 50 overs, by the time I come off it, I'm uh, not quite as humorous as I am now. Do you have anything that assists or helps with that? Yeah, so in my early years, it, it didn't really bother me too much. But as time's gone on, I get a little bit older. Injuries take a little bit longer to recover from. You don't bounce back so quickly. I've had to start wearing sort of KT tape to help with ligament issues and ankle braces to try and strengthen the ankles. It tends to be the, the, the very staccato, the lateral movement that, that I really do struggle with. So, uh, yeah, I do spend quite a lot of time at slippers these days, which is quite nice. Perhaps you could tell us a little bit about your cricketing abilities. I know, Kian, you're a bowler. Do you want to tell us a little bit about how you've developed your bowling over the last sort of 10 years when you've been playing? I started off really erratic, really, you know, just found, found everything hard, you know. Um, and now what I do, like, again, I, I'm not a quick bowler. I'm quite a slow bowler. But, you know, what I try and do is... I think, yes, I can bowl quicker, but it won't quite be as where I want the ball to be. So I slowed it down and I just think, right, just, you know, and a coach told me just accuracy. So I try and be as accurate as I can. And vary it, obviously, because in 20 overs and my bowling, people are always going to come after you. So I just try and, you know, work on sort of slower balls, you know, off cutters, things like that. Um, and I just try and bowl as straight as I can. Um, I try and help the team. And... You know, I, I'm always wanting to improve. Uh, and I, I always think about the team. You know, the team comes first in my head. And, you know, we all have good days and bad days. So I am upset when I do have a bad day. You know, I, I, it takes me a while to recover because, again, coming back to the disability side of things, it does take a long time for me to get the, the anger, the frustration out, out of me when I do have a bad day. I've learned now to try and use it positively to say, right, what can I do better next time? I always look to to work on my bowling, work as hard as I can to help the team out. Um, it's quite interesting, given your dyspraxia and your difficulties with sort of balance and coordination, that sounds like it must take a lot of mental effort, uh, a sort it, of a bowling it, stint for you. It does sometimes when you are, when I am mentally fatigued towards the end of the game, I'm not going to bowl it as well, you know, and I'm not going to, and it's the same with fielding, I am going to sadly I am going to lose a little bit of, of that. You know, that's something I, I try and accept. I still proud of the fact that I have dyspraxia and yet, you know, I can, well, try and get a few people out. You know, and that's, that's great. Okay. And Chris, batsman, bowler, all-rounder? Yeah, so I, I kind of try and contribute wherever I can. For Wales, I t tend to come in lower top order, so sort of three or four. Yeah, try, try and score a few runs where I can. As a bowler... Again, for my club, I tend to open the bowling, but um, I tend to, to bowl the death overs for less. Completely different scenarios, but uh, no, no, no less challenging. I try not to only influence it through the batting and bowling, but you know, through, um, through field placings and, and helping out the captain where I can as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what it felt like being chosen to play for Wales, Kian, first? Uh, you know, it's just the, the best feeling 
in the world to me. You know, it means everything. Again, someone who has dyspraxia, who you know, in the, if you if you look at the books, they'll say you sh I shouldn't even be near cricket. You know, and and to go and play for my country, uh, and then to tour Sri Lanka, which was like you know just the best feeling in the world, was just absolutely incredible. You know, but it also helps considering again we've got such a supportive team and how we understand different abilities, different disabilities. It just shows how passionate we are as well to play for a country. To put, every time you put that whale shirt on, we are raring to go, and it's just the best feeling in the world. And Chris? Yeah, being, being at a different stage in my life, it was a, a big shock, actually. I thought my chance of getting an international cap had uh, <laughs> gone many years ago. So, um, yeah, I, I, was, um, I was pleased as punch, more so for my father. Uh, who had put a, a lot of work in over the years, you know, travelling up and down when I was playing for Monmouthshire, uh, coming to watch me every now and again uh, play for local clubs and things like that. So when he got to watch me get my first cap for Wales, he was very happy. It was a funny feeling, but I just hope to, uh, to be able to draw it out as long as I can now, um, obviously coming towards the twilight of my career. Well, I can feel the tears coming down my face already, uh, Chris. <laughs> so I'm not going to announce my retirement yet, don't worry. With a violin out. So, Sri Lanka, tell us a little bit about the tour, what the preparation was and what the experience was like. Kian? Yeah, so obviously we prepared for it, I think, about a year advance. When we were out in Sri Lanka, we had things to cope with, like like the heat, etc. We knew it was going to be hot. We didn't, I don't think any of us knew that it was going to be that hot, you know, so it was, you know, the, the different conditions that we're not used to over here. You know, the, the pitches, again, we have some lovely pitches over here wasn't like that in Sri Lanka. So we had a lot to think about. We had a lot a lot to prepare for. We did a lot of work against mainly the batters, against playing against spin. Again, we did a lot of mental preparation. They were very good sides. We were looking to win. The results didn't quite go our way and they did beat us. Chris, a, a significant step up in terms of opposition that you were playing? Yeah, it was a massive step up. I mean, the, the people we were playing, you know, they, they play able-bodied cricket out there maybe six days a week. They they live for cricket. And that was evident that the whole country lives for cricket. You know, you're walking down the beach uh, and you just see game after game after game. And that's how the, these guys are brought up. They're ph phenomenal athletes. We had uh, we, we were facing one gentleman uh, who started off bowling right arm quick. And it was very, very quick facing him, you know, got one shoot past your nose and, and you knew about it. And then uh, when the light became too bad for him to bowl quick, he was bowling left-arm Chinaman, some of the best spin I'd ever faced. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, the skills they have is absolutely phenomenal. But with that, then, you know, they're very nice people as well. Um, welcoming, I'm still chat chatting to some of them on Facebook regularly now. Yeah, it's a big step up. Um, it was a bit of an eye-opener for some of us, I think, that it was that much for golfing level. But I really thought it was going to set us in good stead for this year. I scribbled down before the interview to ask each of you what your favourite moment was. But I know, Kian, talking to you earlier, there was quite a difficult moment for you in Sri Lanka, which in a sense has probably been as important as, as any other experience. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so um, sadly, out, out there I was uh, upset. Although, I, again, I like travelling on my own. I'm used to doing everything with a structure. And although it was a little bit structured out there, I'm not used to being with people. And even though I love the team the bits, I'm not, I didn't, it felt hard to me to be in that situation where I had to, you know, I had to be told what to do. I had to share 
you know, I had to share, share a room. For me, that was harder than playing the cricket. Was the coping with the change? For me, I didn't. Have, I didn't feel like I had space to, you know. And as a result, sadly, I I did get upset. Um, I ran out into the middle of of the road out in Sri Lanka, uh, and I didn't know where I was. So it was almost like a panic attack, and I got upset, you know. Um, but a lot of the boys understood, you know. A lot of people would have just thought, you know, they might have thought, oh, Kian's nuts or whatever. Whereas within this team, you know, the support I had was incredible. And we had a really good chat and that made me feel a little bit better. And then um, when I got back, you know, Les was thinking, right, I might be autistic, hoping about how I'm responding to the change. And then I got diagnosed when I got home. Um, so because of that trip, it's made me more confident in terms of I can, you know, I can talk about how difficult it is, you know, and, and how how challenging it is and how you can overcome challenges. Um, but I certainly wouldn't have been able to do that without Les, without Jenny, without James, without Chris, uh, you know, without a lot of the boys. Um, yeah, so they're the ones that, that should really take the credit for that. Yeah. Chris, what about you? Any big moments that you remember from the tour? Yeah, so going out there, you've obviously seen um, international tours. You, you've watched things like Behind the Lions, when the Lions go away, and, and you see the camaraderie. And that was one of the great things out there was, you know, get. although I knew people, it was, you know, you're getting to know them a lot more intimately. You're spending a lot more time with them. So just getting to know people was great. But the best cricketing moment for me is probably something I'm going to live on for a long time, is when we, um, when we rocked up to the final game. Um, to the Ordnance Court International Cricket Ground, um, and that really did look like we belonged to play cricket there, sort of thing. It was fantastic, fantastic venue, fantastic uh, facilities, um, and just being able to wander around that and being treated like a, a professional for the day was absolutely amazing. So yeah, that 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 made the whole tour worthwhile. Um, even though we lost the game, it, 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 you know, it was a fantastic venue to lose it. Okay, final question for you both. Where now for you with your cricketing careers? Where would you like to kind of go next? Where would you like to be in a year's time with your cricket? Chris, what about you? Uh, yeah, so I've got a couple of goals myself. Um, I'm just recovering from a, a, quite a large operation at Christmas. So I haven't been playing a lot this year. So, you know, the, the immediate goal is for me to get back playing um, and you know, touch wood. Um, that's just around the corner for me. So that, that's my immediate goal. Um, and then looking forward to next season, I really want to try and test myself uh, against the uh, the England boys and see where I actually do sit, um, whether I can cope at that level and whether I'd be good enough to, to see if I can get into that, that team and that squad. Um, so that that's my long-term aim as long as I still play cricket. Kian? Uh, yeah, so obviously I want to keep on first of all keep on improving um and then uh, in the future obviously despite the upset in sri lanka i would like to have another tour with wales uh and yeah to keep enjoying enjoying the cricket with wales enjoying the cricket with my local side keep trying to improve and again de- developing the you know the concentration side of things as well which is which is really big for me um, yeah, but I can see myself playing, you know, I'll, I'll be playing until I'm 100. 
you know, I'm never, I'm never going to stop playing cricket. That was Kean Davis of the Wales Disability Cricket Team there, ending our episode for this week with a sentiment I'm sure will be echoed by many, many recreational cricketers throughout Wales. Thanks again for our new followers on Twitter this week, including Mohammed Shamir Ansari, the Morlice Castle Inn, Charles Carey, Ben Rogers, Sean Gwynn, and the um, implausibly named Punk Rock Chooses You No Pass Around Twitter feed. Thanks to all our followers on Facebook. We've had 330 downloads of the podcast so far. Last week's episode, Prem Sisodia, was our first century with over 100 people listening in. Thanks to all our listeners in the UK. The podcast has been downloaded in America, Australia, Canada, India, Sri Lanka and Greece. And thank you very much to our one listener in Poznan in Poland. Don't forget, we're interested in your cricketing stories for either our feature, My Club, Our Story, something about your club that you play for, a little bit of history, or if the story merits it, we'll give it a full episode. You can contact us on Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. On Facebook, you can find us with the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast. And our email, once again, is mwcpod1921 at gmail.com. Join us next week when Alan Rees Chivers interviews Asian club cricketers about the Welsh Asians Cricket Club and more. See you soon when we'll have some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales.